Hi, and welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. This week, our subject is Cecily Neville. Cecily Neville was born in 1415, the youngest of her father's 22 children. Yep, 22. That's not a typo. Her father was a regular fertile myrtle. She was the 16th child of her mother, so also quite fertile herself. Move over 19 kids and counting. Ralph and Joan were both on their second marriage. They had 14 kids together, plus Ralph's eight previous children with his first wife, and Joan's two children with her first husband. Altogether, Cecily had 23 siblings, and she was the youngest. So we can probably assume she didn't get a whole lot of one-on-one attention from her parents, but she was the youngest, so it probably helped that a new baby didn't immediately replace her as the baby of the family. Her maternal grandparents were John of Gaunt and Catherine Swinford, making her the great-granddaughter of King Edward III, the goat of medieval royalty. Before her birth, her parents were originally supporters of Richard II. Cecily's mother was the cousin of the king, but when Henry Bolingbroke came back to become king, they pivoted to his side because he was Cecily's mother's brother. The new King Henry IV was Cecily's uncle. This helped Cecily's parents start to rise in power, and they had a lot of children to marry off. They used this new power to arrange advantageous marriages and positions for their children. A large family needing so many marriages created some tension with the other nobles. There were only so many noble marriages to go around. Cecily's father even bought some wardships from the crown in order to marry some wards off to his own children, meaning he would negotiate any dowries with himself. The man seemed to be pretty good with money. At the time of her birth, her father was 51 and her mother was 36, and they were a loyal Lancastrian family. Her mother was done having children, so that would likely extend her life expectancy. Childbirth was the most dangerous part about being a woman in the 15th century. Even if the birth went smoothly, cleanliness wasn't a priority and antibiotics didn't exist. So oftentimes, a post-childbirth infection developed, and there was no real way to fight it off other than their immune systems. The good news is, their immune systems were probably fairly strong if you were still alive. They had to constantly fight off bacterial infections. The plague was a bacterial infection. If we got the plague today, a good round of antibiotics would wipe it out. Just take some penicillin and bye-bye plague. When Cecily was about eight, her father went to work, finding her a marriage. She was young, but he was nearly 60, and there were no assurances he had much longer to live. He used his connections with his brother-in-law, the king, to purchase a wardship from the crown. Wards of the crown were noble children that had lost their parents, and sometimes had become nobles themselves. The crown would take up the care and education of these children, but there were a lot of them. The 15th century was a dangerous world, so the crown had a sort of foster care program. Grown nobles could buy wardships from the king. If the king agreed, the ward would go and live in the new noble's home and be raised and be prepared for future life. The advantage of buying a wardship was that this new little lord or lady would, in theory, grow up to be loyal to you, and they would grow up to be also fairly powerful.
For Cecily's father, the benefit would be the marriages between his wards and his children, meaning he was setting his children up to be powerful lords and ladies as well. Ralph Neville's new ward in 1423 was 13-year-old Richard, Duke of York. Young Richard had lost both of his parents, and he was now the Duke of York. The young Duke's father had been beheaded eight years earlier for being involved with the Southampton plot against King Henry V. The late Duke is someone we have talked about before. He was the eight-year-old stepson of Joan Holland and the son of Isabella of Castile, both whom have their own episode, if you need a refresher. This little eight-year-old grew up, plotted against the king, and lost his head. So now, his 13-year-old son was living in the household of Cecily's parents, Ralph and Joan. The very next year, the 14-year-old Duke was betrothed to 9-year-old Cecily. He had been made the Duke of York when he was much younger. His father had been executed for plotting against the king, but his older brother had saved that same king's life at the Battle of Agincourt. So Richard, although the son of a traitor, was also seen as redeemable if he was raised properly. And that was Ralph Neville's job, to raise a loyal Lancastrian duke. He only had a couple of years to do that, because he died in 1425 at the age of 61. His death started a family feud. The problem was that of Ralph's eight children from his first marriage, known as the Senior Branch, they were mostly girls. He had two sons with his first wife, and one of them was already deceased. Because much of Ralph's inheritance went to his children with his second wife, or the cadet branch of his family, this created some tension. A feud between the senior and cadet branches of the Neville family. All of this was done legally, but outside of the custom for the time. In theory, everything would have gone to the son of his oldest son. It was seen as unfair that the cadet branch inherited so much. But the cadet branch of his family were the sons and daughters of the king's sister. So the king's nieces and nephews, they were the preferred children, and it created hard feelings that lasted for nearly two decades. It was called the Neville-Neville feud. Think Hatfields and McCoys. For now, though, Ralph left his wardship to his wife, hoping that she could finish the job of making her daughter a duchess. The teenage duke was pulled closer and closer into the Lancastrian family. They needed as many supporters as they could muster. King Henry V has died, and his baby had become king. That baby king was still only three when Ralph Neville died. 14-year-old Cecily and 18-year-old Duke Richard were married in 1429. That same year, young King Henry was eight, and he had his coronation. The Duke, and presumably his wife, attended the young king's coronation. Cecily was the new king's cousin. Her mother and his father were siblings. Over the next six years, the king's two uncles continued running the country. Cecily and Richard saw their stars rising. Ten years into their marriage, the couple had their first baby, Anne, probably named after her paternal grandmother. The fact that the couple went ten years before having children leads me to believe that, for a while at least, it was a business marriage. After all, they had grown up together, knowing for most of that time that the plan was for them to marry but it wasn't the choice of either of them. But 10 years into their marriage, when the couple was 24 and 28 respectively, they started having children. That was relatively late to start a family in the 15th century, 
but I can respect that the couple decided to grow up before they started raising other humans. The year after their first baby, Anne, was born, Cecily lost her mother. Cecily's mother was buried next to her own mother, Catherine Swinford. When I did Catherine Swinford's episode, I talked about how many of her descendants had important political roles in the future, our past. Cecily, her granddaughter, is one of those people. Cecily's mother, Joan, was the last parent the couple still had living when she passed. Cecily was a new mother. I think most new mothers will tell you that they lean on their own mother or their mother figure when their own baby is ill. It's scary as a new mom. You don't always know what to do, but you think your mother will know. After all, she probably raised you and helped get you through illness. I have to imagine that to some degree, Cecily probably relied on her older sisters during this time. Especially the following year when the couple had their second baby, Henry, who died shortly after his birth. We don't know why. They may not even have known. If you think about births today, they take many precautions. They do many tests, check on the baby's growth before and after they're born. And sometimes those tests catch something that is otherwise mostly undetectable. Babies are watched or put through treatments. One of my babies was born jaundice, and we knew what to do to help him because the doctors help us know. Lucky for our family, it was fairly minor and cleared up pretty quickly. In the 15th century, they just didn't know as much about health. They did their best with help from older, more experienced mothers. Little Henry's birth and death were documented, but that's about all. Babies died back then. On average, you had to assume that one in five of your children wouldn't survive to their childhood even. And at this point, Cecily and Richard only had one surviving child out of two, and it was a girl. This would have caused worry. What if they never had any more that survived? They had no way of knowing. But the following year, they had another baby, a boy, Edward, three years younger than his older sister, Anne. Whatever took little Henry wasn't a problem for baby Edward. He grew up to be strong, healthy, and tall. And, spoiler alert, the King of England. But we'll get back to that later. There was also some rumors of his true paternity. If he had been born on time, his father was away when he was conceived. But all it would have taken was for him to be born just a couple of weeks early, and the math adds up. These rumors were probably started later by his brother George. Sibling drama. Cecily and Richard didn't slow down. They started averaging a baby about every 18 months. Edmund was born the following year in 43, Elizabeth in 44, and Margaret in 46. The previous year, King Henry VI, the baby king, was now 24 and looking to end the Hundred Years' War, started by his great-great-grandfather, King Edward III. As usual, a marriage to a French noble girl was their hoped solution. And in 1447, the couple's oldest daughter, Anne, was married. She was only eight years old. Cecily and Richard married their eight-year-old daughter to 17-year-old Henry Holland. Her parents probably didn't see it as so different from their marriage when they had both been betrothed at eight and thirteen. Henry Holland was a descendant of Joan, the fair maid of Kent, and her first secret husband, Thomas Holland. This was likely a political alliance marriage. The couple had their first and only baby, Anne, named after her mother, eight years later when the couple was sixteen and twenty-five. 
The marriage was not a happy one, and they did not live together most of the time. This political marriage had backfired. Henry was a staunch supporter of the Lancastrian royal family. Anne was a daughter of the Duke of York. If you know about the Civil War we are getting close to, the War of the Roses was between the Lancasters and the Yorks. So a Lancastrian groom and a Yorkist bride were fated to fail. The same year, little eight-year-old Anne was married. Her mother, Cecily, had a boy named William, but he too didn't survive his infancy. In just the following year, their newest baby, John, was born and also didn't survive. Cecily had never lost two babies in a row. For a while, she had been having successful births with surviving children. Her oldest daughter was off and married, now nine. At home, she had Edward, now six, Edmund, five, Elizabeth, four, and Margaret, two. In 1449, it was a good year. The couple had another baby named George, probably named after St. George, the patron saint of England. This little boy did survive. He seems to have been a favorite of his mother's, understandable, because he was the first baby to survive after she had lost two boys in a row. There will be some family drama later, and Cecily seems to have sided with her son George over her eldest son, Edward. He was, after all, the miracle baby that survived when there were doubts. The year after George was born, Cecily had another baby, Thomas, who also didn't survive. Cecily and Richard had together had ten children, but only six had survived, and this was harsh even for that time. On average, she should have only lost two babies, but Cecily had lost four, all boys. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose four babies. This probably just added to her fondness of George. He was the only boy out of four in a row to survive. When George was three, Cecily had another successful pregnancy. Richard was born. This little baby will eventually grow up to be king, just like his older brother. He has been said to not have a good relationship with his mother, but I don't think that was true. He wasn't George, but the bad relationship rumors seem to be because this baby Richard grew up to be the somewhat infamous king, King Richard III. And if you know very much about Shakespeare, he's definitely a villain. In Shakespeare, villains aren't liked, not even by their mothers. But I imagine his mother was fond of him. He had, after all, survived. And at this point, wasn't the villainous king we think of as Richard III. He was baby Richard and the youngest surviving child of Cecily and Richard. They did have one more baby three years later, a little girl named Ursula, who also unfortunately didn't survive. In the time that the couple had been having children, the now adult Henry VI had grown up into an adult king, now married to a French noble girl, Margaret of Anjou. The Duke of York and the king had a bit of a falling out. When the king made his first council as an adult, he left Richard out completely. It was a bit of a snub. The king was now married to the niece of the king of France and working hard to make peace with France. Richard didn't really agree with all the concessions the council was making in order to appease the French, and he was appointed lieutenant of Ireland. This was probably a job just to get him out of the way. His appointment was supposed to last for 10 years, meaning no other job would be an option for him until that time. 
They were living in Ireland. There was political unrest because some people thought King Henry was a weak king, favoring some of his nobles over others. Richard was one of the nobles who felt that he was shorted. He had been pushing to be named as King Henry's heir when he had no heirs. Richard had been the second cousin of King Henry's father. They were both great-grandsons of Edward III. The country was at a boiling point, an uneasy peace. Richard still claimed he was loyal to the king, but he was putting up quite the fight, and the king didn't really trust him. By the summer of 1453, Richard seemed to lose his struggle against the king and pledged loyalty to him, thinking he didn't really have a lot of other options. Henry did not want to make his father's cousin his heir. Even if he were to not have any children, he preferred to name one of his half-brothers his heir. The problem with that is that his half-brothers were not descended from King Edward III. They had been conceived when Queen Catherine had run off with her commoner boyfriend. Though he had made his half-brothers earls in the meantime, so their father was a commoner, but their mother was a French princess, and they were noble. This didn't really sit well with a lot of the other nobles. Richard, Duke of York, had by, at this point, lost his appointment as the Lieutenant of Ireland. Although I don't think he was too broken up about it. It wasn't his favorite appointment. But it had been better than no appointment at all. The king seemed to be sidelining him. This was when King Henry VI was given some very bad news. The French were winning the war, and all the English troops had been expelled from France. King Henry seems to have taken after his maternal grandfather, Charles the Mad. With this bad news, the king became completely unresponsive, unable to speak, and had to be led from the room. Like his grandfather, he was starting to experience breaks from reality. And the bad news didn't help. The king had suffered a catastrophic mental breakdown. The queen was at this time several months pregnant with her first child. Henry's own father had left for war while his wife was newly pregnant. Now his wife was alone for very different reasons. The king's state lasted for over a year, nearly a year and a half. The king had suffered a catastrophic breakdown. The queen and her baby, Prince Edward, named Edward probably to remind everyone of his noble ancestor, King Edward III. Someone had to rule the country, while the king was incapacitated. Richard, Duke of York, argued that it should be him. He was, after all, the lead noble in the whole realm. Queen Margaret vehemently disagreed. She didn't feel that herself, her son, or her husband, the mentally ill king, would be safe under the control of Cecily's husband, Richard. But just like with his grandfather in France, the king's mental state caused uncertainty about the future and left a fairly large power vacuum. A great council was created to decide what to do in the meantime. Richard, Duke of York, this time was included. He had been portraying himself as a reformer, claiming that he wanted to change England for the better. The council made Richard Lord Protector of the realm. It made sense. He was the great-grandson of Edward III, and one of, if not the very highest-ranking duke in the realm. By now, the year was 1455. The York children were now Anne, 16, and a mother in an unhappy marriage with a baby also named Anne. Edward, 13, Edmund, 12, Elizabeth, 11, Margaret, 9, George, 6, 
and Richard III. Unlike their older sister Anne, Elizabeth and Margaret were still unmarried at the ages of 11 and 9, respectively. And there were probably reasons for that. Cecily's oldest daughter had been married to a Lancastrian man. And the Yorks, as a family, were fighting against them for power. The future was uncertain, and they wanted to wait to marry off their additional daughters until they knew how things were going to shake out. Early in 1455, the king regained his senses after 17 months in his catatonic state. His son, who was born during that time, was now a year old. The king wasted no time reversing everything the duke had done in his mental absence. York and his allies raised an army to fight against the king and his allies and their army. The battle where they met was hardly a battle. York's army was vastly superior, with much more experience, and the king was captured. They didn't want the king to die because at this point he had a two-year-old son who would then be king, and they had just gone through a whole time period of having a toddler as a king. Who would be the king then? But they kept him prisoner, and if they did that, they could control the government for him, claiming he was again mentally unwell, and that is what they did. Until the following year, when the king regained his senses again, and an uneasy peace was reached. The king agreed that the York faction would have a role in the government. Richard, Duke of York, was sent north to protect England against the Scottish King James II, the son of the Scottish king that had been held captive in England. As it turns out, the attempt to turn the Stuart family of Scotland into English monarchs hadn't worked out so well. Queen Margaret seemed to decide that around this time, her future was in her own hands. She decided she would be the one influencing her husband and keeping control when he had one of his mental breaks. In 1359, a great council was called. Richard, Duke of York, and his allies refused to attend, concerned that they would be captured, arrested, or killed. Parliament was discussing what to do about the rebellious nobles. Cecily arrived to plead for her husband. She attempted to get the king to agree to pardon her husband if he showed up within the next week. The king refused, and the Duke of York's lands and titles were taken away. Cecily received a small yearly stipend to care for herself and her children, but not enough for her husband to buy an army or more power. Civil war then broke out. This civil war we call the War of the Roses because the sigil of the Lancasters was a white rose and the sigil of the Yorks was a red rose. And the civil war battles, therefore, were red rose flags and white rose flags fighting against each other. But at the time, it was known as the Cousins' War. Some of the York army refused to fight against their king. They were loyalists. The rebels were then forced to flee. Richard, Duke of York, and his second son, Edmund, fled to Ireland, where he had previously been lieutenant. And his cousin, an ally, Warwick, along with Richard's oldest son, Edward, fled to the still-English-held Calais, of which Warwick was captain. Cecily, along with her two youngest sons, George, ten, and Richard, seven, were captured and imprisoned. Their sisters were all married now and in their own households. Cecily had to feel a bit alone during this time in captivity with her two youngest sons, 
but she would have blamed King Henry and the Lancastrians for the spot she was put in, not her husband and his allies for rebelling. Cecily's husband fleeing to Ireland helped their cause. Ireland backed him with both money and troops. His ally and cousin Warwick fleeing also helped their cause. They now controlled the English Channel, and they used all of their naval dominance to spread pro-Yorkist propaganda. The story that they were spreading was that they were absolutely loyal to the king, and it was his advisors that the Yorkists had a problem with. The truth is probably that they thought the king's advisors were controlling him, and that was probably at least partially true. The Yorkists wanted to be the ones controlling him, and currently it wasn't them. King Henry or his advisors declared York and Warwick traitors, because we don't really know who was making the decisions. Their lives were forfeit, and their heirs could not inherit anything. The king took all they had. This civil war was going to proceed to the very end. Warwick returned to England and held a decisive victory over the Lancastrian army, in the process capturing King Henry and taking him to London as a prisoner. Cecily and her boys were released, and she sent George and Richard to the Burgundian court for their safety. They were still children. They couldn't fight in the war, and their sister Margaret was married to the son of the Duke of Burgundy. Cecily's husband remained in Ireland for a few more months, but when he arrived back in England, he acted as if he were the king. He didn't have enough power to depose King Henry, but he did have enough power to again be made Lord Protector of the Realm. He was also given the lands and income of the king's son, Edward, now about seven, but not his titles. Cecily was now de facto queen, with her husband in charge of England. Queen Margaret was not taking the capture of her husband lying down. She was regrouping the Lancastrian army with the help from the new Scottish king, King James III. The Lancastrian and York armies met again, and this time Queen Margaret's Lancastrian army defeated Richard and his Yorkist army in the Battle of Wakefield. Cecily's husband Richard was killed in the battle, and his son Edmund, now 17, was attempting to retreat when he too was captured and executed. Cecily was now left with only three sons, Edward 18, George 11, and Richard 8. I can't imagine how stressful all of this time would have been for her. The head of Cecily's husband was put on a pike and displayed at York, wearing a paper crown, so that York could overlook York. Cecily's oldest son, Edward, was set on revenge for his father, and he set to work trying to finish the war started by his father and King Henry. Edward was able to win the war with the Lancastrians and was crowned king. Cecily was honored as the king's mother, and in her opinion, she was the Dowager Queen of England because she had considered her husband, Richard, the rightful king before he died. The king is not dead, but long live the new king. Henry VI was the last Lancastrian king, and Edward IV was to be the first York king. Cecily had a rift with her son Edward when he married a woman who was part of a Lancastrian family. The new York king's in-laws had fought in defense of the old king, Henry, the people who had killed her husband and her son. About five years later, Warwick, the ally of King Edward's father, 
along with King Edward's brother George, now 20, rebelled against King Edward, claiming that he was a bastard and not the true son of Richard, Duke of York. Cecily sided with Warwick and George, even though that would mean she would have cheated on her husband and had sex with another man while he was away. This seemed to be because she was still angry about her oldest son's Lancastrian in-laws. George and Warwick did not win this rebellion. Warwick then sided with the Lancastrians, his old enemies, because he was on King Edward's naughty list, and he didn't really have a lot of options. George and his mother begged the king's forgiveness. We didn't mean to rebel. The evil Warwick tricked us. Warwick and Queen Margaret were able to rethrone King Henry VI for about a year. Not quite a year, but then lost it again to Edward. Cecily seemed to live out the rest of her life in relative peace. Two of her sons became kings of England, and after that her granddaughter became queen. Cecily died in 1495 at the age of 80, very impressive for the 15th century. Most of her children predeceased her, with only her daughters Elizabeth and Margaret still living at her death. Her great-grandson, the future King Henry VIII, was four years old at the time of her death. She was buried near her husband and her son Edmund. And that is where we will leave it for this week. If it feels like I rushed through the second half of her life, that's because I sort of did. She stayed relatively low-key after all the drama in the first part of her life. But she will make supporting character appearances in future episodes. After all, two of her daughters-in-law and her granddaughter are all future queens and will get episodes as well. What did you think about Cecily? I have to be honest, in the past I've judged her pretty harshly for the way she treated her son, the king, in the second half of her life. But when it's put in perspective with all of the trauma she experienced from the first half of her life, it's almost understandable. Cecily isn't my favorite, but she is the mother of the House of York, and they were able to take the crown from the House of Lancaster that ruled for three generations. I think that although she definitely had issues, she went through a lot, and it was really impressive that she held it together. If it came apart at the end, she earned it. Only seven of her twelve children survived past their infancy, and all but two died before her. She was a tough old broad. You can share your thoughts with me at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at longlivethequeenpodcast. Long live to all the queens out there, and until next week, bye!